0: Because if you're worried about 70% of the world's population, they have energy as their biggest challenge. The great news is that we solve the same with one product.
1: Welcome to the 5G Guys podcast, the premier resource for industry
0: insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in.
2: You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-us.com.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm
2: Wayne Smith
1: and joined by my co-host, Dan McVall.
2: Hey everyone! Thanks for joining us today. Our guest on the show is Doug Kirkpatrick. He's the CEO of a company called Arid. Aradon's a new technology company that you're going to learn a, bit, a lot about today. But the reason we decided to have him, or that he's gracious enough to join us, is the technology that Aradon and, and Doug are running with has some promises as it relates to what we might be seeing coming down the pipe here in the future with 5G and particularly 6G. So we're excited to have Doug. He is the CEO and co-founder of ARID. He's a doctor, Dr. Doug Kirkpatrick, and his professional career includes stints with DARPA, which is the De- Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So, Doug, that's basically the guys for the uh, in the government that are doing all the really cool technology, right? It is pretty much the internet, the Saturn V rocket, night vision goggles, and my own personal favorite LED flashlights. There you go. So, so he was with DARPA for a while, and he was also vice president of research and development at a company called Fusion Lighting. In addition to that, he spent a fair amount of his career in the venture capital space, where he was a partner for a company called Vantage Point Venture Partners, as well as a gen- general partner for inner product partners. And if that's not enough, he's also got experience working with a gas packaging company called Black Pack. So Dr. Kirkpatrick is very experienced and we're excited to have him. So Doug, we really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure to be here this morning. Thank you for having me. All right. So, I guess start off. Tell us about Iridon. What's Iridon about? And and you know, I told you we're notorious for bad analogies, or I guess I think they're good, but they might be kind of corny. I love your analogy that you explain Iridon with on your Reese's peanut butter cup. So, tell us all about it. So, in in my experience, some of the best technical
0: innovations I've been able to be a part of, have been putting part A with part B. And I mentioned the LED flashlight. That was my contribution, one of my contributions at DARPA that came from putting non-imaging optical lenses together with the LEDs. I wasn't the guy doing the LEDs. I wasn't the guy doing the non-imaging optics, but you put two of those together and all of a sudden you have a flashlight that's capable of putting 98% of its energy into where you're looking and boom, everything changes is very similar. Aridin is combination of a new kind of circuit. It's actually not that new and we call it direct polar. And in Aridin's case, yeah. it's switch mode, direct polar. Direct polar circuits have been around since tubes in 1917 during the first world war. Literally every major 3G, 4G, 5G technology developer has tried to go and do direct polar. All of them did it in silicon. That brings the second piece of what we do, and that's that we implement the real working parts of the direct polar circuit in gallium nitride. So the Reese's peanut butter cup analogy here is combining the chocolate of the direct polar circuit with the peanut butter of the gallium nitride implementation, which allows you to achieve what we in the electromagnetics world have been after for about 30 years, something called the software radio. We have something today that's called the software-defined radio, which means we do a software radio at very low power, and then it has to go into something which we call a linear power amplifier, more on that oxymoron a little bit later. And that linear power amplifier takes all the flexibility of the software-defined radio and immediately limits it creates all kinds of trade-offs that system designers have made their living at for the last 30 to 40 years, because we do it in gallium nitride. We come out of that direct polar circuit at full radio power, no amplification required, and that takes off the handcuffs and the shackles. And all of a sudden you have a radio, which is fully flexible at full transmit power for telecom infrastructure applications. So now, instead of being able to transmit a few feet with something, which is a teeny tiny amount of power, now you can transmit and receive over several kilometers. That's a footprint that
2: makes a difference. So, yeah, so let's break that down a little bit. Going back to the chocolate and the recipe, the software radio for our listeners what we have out there today and have always had in these technologies are hardware radios. So that means the radio is designed and functions as a piece of very specific hardware. So we've talked about past episodes where changing from 2G to 3G, 3G to 4G is what I call a forklift upgrade. We literally had to rip out all of the electronics and replace them with all new pieces of electronics, all new hardware. So So Doug, a software radio literally is, you're not changing any hardware, you literally are changing what that radio can do, whether it's frequency band, whether it's technology that's doing with software without having to forklift replace that electronics, correct?
0: That is absolutely correct. That's a demo that we do down in the lab or with one of our products for customers and investors as we run. 1G to 2G to 3G to 4G to 5G and circle it back to 1G again, as we are hopping frequencies over multiple octaves. And we do that at full transmit power of something like five to 10 Watts of peak power. And that's really the game changer, you know, that, that gets into opening a lot of flexibility for some of the really challenged bands. We have some bands that are relatively. Uncommon, and as a consequence, they don't get a lot of attention from the big radio manufacturers, and that means it becomes very difficult to get that equipment, very expensive or very long lead times. Some of those bands that are weird are third world locations. And as a consequence, those parts of the world get way underutilized and undersubscribed in terms of what they're getting. And then finally, as you look forward into things like 6G and we talk about, I'm going to use a very big word here. I apologize in advance. Dynamic heterogeneous infrastructure, or what is also referred to driving that called the RAN intelligent controller those are huge opportunities for us to take advantage in how we actually fill the spectrum highway much more efficiently than we do today
2: you and i uh, pri- prior to, to recording today i've had a chance to talk a fair amount and i shared with you the analogy that wayne and i use to describe generations of technology and cellular and spectrum where spectrum is the roadway the lanes on the highway if you will As we get more bands, we have more lanes that allow the technology, 4G, 5G, which is like the cars, right? Moving from a PW bug up to a Maserati. And when I explain that analogy that we've been using to you, I I love your response to what you guys are doing, how that sort of translates into that analogy. You want to share that again? That was, I think, a really good explanation. It's one we
0: actually expl- used to explain to investors three or four years ago. So when you and I were discussing, it was like, yeah, exactly. I know what you mean. The fact that we have a software-defined radio, which means it's rigidly defined in frequency, and that analogy means it's like driving on a highway that has jersey barriers through between every lane. You can't change lanes. That's all there is. And if the traffic in the lane next to you is not full and your lane is backed up, Because all of the customers in your area are AT&T and Verizon next door to you is undersubscribed. You can't, AT&T can't, you can't borrow some of that spectrum from Verizon and unblock your lane. It just, that's not physically possible. And our radio completely changes that. That's what I mean by a dynamic heterogeneous infrastructure. What it allows the radio to do is to change frequencies on the fly at full power over a even if you only did it within an octave, which would be a limitation of current old style antennas, but there are new generations of antennas that are multi-octave antennas. Now what you can do is you can spread the energy density over those bands. There is a, a, a survey done in 2014 of the day-end utilization in New York City and in Chicago, and it turns out that the actual utilization of the frequency spectrum in Chicago was about 2% and in New York City was about 4% time averaged over 24 hours. And that's pathetic. You know, much like a disk drive, you probably can't get way above 50% before you start running into each other, but you're talking about using spectrum. 10 times more than we're using today. That's a massive jump forward. All of that comes down to the underpinning of the technology, being able to freaking change lanes on the highway. I mean, this is not rocket science. This is pretty
1: simple stuff. Well, let me jump in. I think a question that comes to my mind in how it's done today in the spectrum auctions and the, you know, when a carrier buys the auction, if I hear you correctly, it sounds like that with new technology that you guys are creating that you can actually share the spectrum if you can work out who owns the spectrum and utilize it more effectively. But you have to get those people to collaborate on the spectrum though, correct?
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. Let's think about a tripping line and let's think about railroad lines. You know, I'm sending a train and it makes a whole lot of sense for me to just add on a few cars to a train that's already going. And I just pay the guy who's already running that train. Hey, you'll take my three cars along. So I'll use that same analogy. You know, AT&T has more demand than they have capacity in that particular band. Verizon is undersubscribed. Well, that means Verizon has spent money for that band and they can have a exchanging financial agreement with AT&T. Hey, you guys borrow a little bit of our spectrum. We'll license it back to you and we'll just do this exchange. And everybody wins. This is economics. This is not. Again, this is not difficult math. Yes, there are things that the FCC would have to enable in order to have this time of real-time arbitrage, but when you consider a tenfold opportunity for the increase in efficiency of the utilization of the public good spectrum, this is pretty as no brainer as it.
2: Yeah, bingo. I mean, that was that was the point I was going to follow up with. Is we have to remember that the spectrum is a public asset. It's an asset that is ultimately owned by us, the citizens, by the United States, and the FCC is just the guardian of that. And they are auctioning this off to carriers. But you know, Wayne, you remember we had Marty Cooper on as a guest a while back. Marty Cooper, the inventor of the portable cell phone at Motorola, and he's very outspoken about the fact that. You know the FCC should not be giving exclusive right to this it's a public asset, and this technology would actually make that a feasible possibility to keep it a more heterogeneous public asset that could be shared by multiple operators, multiple companies. so I think it's phenomenal
0: well you're not asking the companies to do something that's not in their interest you know and in, in the example that I was just giving, Verizon would have an underutilized piece of spectrum they could rent a piece of that spectrum for a portion of time. That means they're getting money for spectrum that they can use. It's in AT&T's benefit to do that in this, you know, notional example. And boom, everybody wins. So you're not even asking the companies and the entities to do something that is not economically wise on their part. Both are incentivized to do exactly. You just
1: need to enable it. Yeah, and that would help like here in Colorado. And Dan, you can correct me, but I was always told that coverage here is interesting, you know, from all the carriers It's because the spectrum is blocked out in different areas that, you know, that if it was more uniform here in the Rockies, we would have better overall coverage, a consistent for every carrier versus this spotty AT&T, TEMA, whatever it is, Verizon. And, uh, so that's a really good explaining piece of it. I can see the advantages going forward and it helps
2: everyone. All of our list. So um, I want to back up a little bit. Uh, You touched on it earlier, and I don't think we kind of glossed over the impact. And when you talk about how the technology Airden has developed allows that radio to come out at full power without additional levels of amplifiers, I want to make sure our audience understands what that the impact of that really has. Because when we look at the electronics on a cell site, a significant amount of the size of that electronics the weight of that electronics is basically there to dissipate heat because these cell site electronics are so inefficient that amplifier and those stages of amplifiers are operating at a significantly lower percentage than what you can operate at with your technology so therefore we're just dissipating heat wasting energy with what's out there today is that correct
0: pretty much the uh Again, I try to do this in the tell me like I'm five scenario. Like I'm talking to my now deceased mom asked me when I started Aridin to explain it. And she kept walking me backwards saying, nope, sorry, that's too complicated. So I think many of us are old enough to remember the first car phones. And when we had that first car phone, we had something that was the size of a plumber's toolbox that was in the trunk. That plumber's toolbox was the quote unquote linear power supply for the phone. Now, when you charge your phone, you use something which is the size of a stack of maybe eight or 10 quarters. So you went from something the size of a toolbox to a size of eight or 10 quarters. What did you do? We went from a linear power supply to a switching power supply. And I want to use that word. That's a piece of electronics that is incredibly important for how we live today. When we went from a linear power supply, the fundamental physics of that linear power supply is that its efficiency was capped at about 60%, which means its inefficiency was 40%. That little switcher that you plug your iPhone or your Android phone into is about 99.6%, if I can use a little bit of leeway there, to go down to 0.4% inefficiency. And as a consequence, it got 100 times smaller. Because the size of that power supply, as you just pointed out, was there to dissipate the heat and the big plumber toolbox was dissipating a hundred times as much heat as what you now charge your phone with. We just took one of our mechanical samples of what will be the product we release at the end of this year to Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. And we had a little cutout of, and this is what package is going to look like and the shock On people's faces when they came by, one of my very, very good friends who's at one of the big companies looked at it and said, holy crap, this is the first five pound radio unit in existence. And the reason that's such a shock, as you know, is most of those radio units are in the 20 to 50 to 100 pound weight class. And the delta is how much power the radio has to put out and how inefficient the total radio is. You will hear people say, oh, our PA is 50% efficient. They don't want to talk about total radio efficiency because they add in all kinds of other stuff to reclaim some of the char- characteristics of the signal. The bottom line is you just measure it. Just put it on scale. This one's five pounds. It covers three kilometers. That one's 25 pounds. It covers three kilometers. If that one's 25 pounds and this one's five pounds, guess which one's five times more efficient. It's not hard. You're exactly right. The easiest way you do it is you put it on one of those old fish scales, right? You know, because these all, all these things have that. you just pick it up and kind of go, wow, this one's five, that one's 25. Which one's more efficient? Pretty easy to figure out. And that's the big delta. And as soon as you understand that, it's cheaper to install because instead of needing six people to put it up, now you only need two because he just takes it up on his back and hooks it up there. You can put it in places that you didn't put it before. You can put it up in the fascia of a building. You can make it disappear because it's so light that the load that it's putting on the infrastructure of that building doesn't need to be reinforced. Doesn't need a big tower sitting up on the top. There's a lot that changes when you get smaller, you didn't used to think that you were going to carry that plumber's toolbox to charge your car phone. It wasn't a mobile phone. It was a car phone because you had a freaking 40-pound box of electronics in the back of your car. Now you carry a mobile phone around because it's got a little teeny tiny thing the size of a stack of quarters. It changes everything.
2: Yeah. And you know, it's funny, not too long ago when I just finished up a series of episodes talking about the most significant amount of work that has to be done on these networks is not building them. It's taking care of them once they're built because there's so much complexity around them. There's a lot of electronics that weighs a lot, like you said, you know, for example, I talked about how one of the things we do is we go inspect the electronics, you know, on a regular basis to do things like get rid of the rats and the mice that have built nests inside the cabinets because it's so nice and warm in there, right? Well, that's because we're generating all this heat, you know, so the ripple effect of what you guys are offering. to the industry is huge. I mean, we don't necessarily have to have the space anymore inside just structures at the bottom of the tower. We don't necessarily have to have all the air conditioning. You know, a typical cell site, we're having to bring in usually at least 200 amps of service. I mean, that's the same amount of service we bring in to power our homes, right? We're talking about now a cell site only needing 20 amps or less of service to run a cell site now.
0: And most of that is to run the servers, not the radio, right? Most of that is to run the CUDU, the core CUDU elements that are down at the bottom of the tower, not the radio at the top of the tower. The radio at the top of the tower is going to take 10 Watts. You know, if you're bringing in service talking, you know, I'm bringing 208, or even if I'm bringing in 110, I could even do this with solar. I mean, that's one of the things that you start to realize is I can put a small backhole radio up there. I don't need to spend a million dollars a mile to string power to something. I can put this out there. It's now power efficient enough that you can run it with local, indigenously available power. That's a huge game changer. We were talking, I, I went on a retreat up to a Buddhist monastery in the high Himalayas in Nepal. And down in the valley below that, there was a 3G cell site that could come up for three hours a day because it was being powered by a small little hydro generator sitting in a stream. Yeah, little, easy math. We changed that to giving them 5G 24-7-365. How does that change things? Manifest everywhere. I mean, our mission that we talk about here at Araden is we want to transform connectivity for the entire world. Yes, in some places, that means it's all about spectrum and being able to change lanes. In other places, it's about the efficiency being such a huge paradigm shift that all of a sudden how you gain access changes. Think about that in terms of now using these satellite systems that are becoming pervasive as backhaul engines. I get all the efficiency of terrestrial link to my conventional handset. And I have all of the cost savings of using those satellite networks to be doing the backhaul to primary nodes. Okay, fine, I'll have a little bit of lag. I'm gonna worry that it takes my website hundred milliseconds longer to, to load up. Seriously? That's a concern as opposed to not having anything at all? I mean, it just it changes everything.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think one of the notes that come up for me, maybe I'm misunderstanding, but I want to ask. We made the comment that we would move from a hardware radio to a software radio. And if that's the case, I know what comes up when software, there's a lot of security concerns. Do we have more security concerns in this type of environment than the existing environment? I don't know the answer to that, but I'll put it to you. Yeah. So that is an awesome question. So.
0: One of the things that is embedded in our radio, the way we are setting it up is we have a very fixed set of commands that we respond to. Um, and therefore you can't, how to phrase this. I don't want to say we're a dumb radio, but I guess we're a dumb radio. We simply do what we are told full stop. There is nothing you can do and to get inside our radio to change what its responses would be now. Going backwards, going back into what the network is actually telling our radio to do. Yeah. Once you have a radio that can go jumping all over the place, you need to be a lot smarter about the security that you have back in that thing that we call the RAN intelligent controller that actually governs what the radio is doing at any moment in time. Yes, that is true. Just like all of a sudden, the lights on the streets all of a sudden start going at different colors randomly and everything goes green and everything goes red and everybody runs into each other in the intersections. Yeah, that is actually something that as we move towards 6G, the security around the RAN intelligent controller and the security around how that is promulgated for control of the system to prevent multiple green lights coming on at the same intersection, which would be obviously a bad day. We need to be thinking about that. But just because we have accidents when we change lanes on the highway, does that mean we don't want to change lanes on the highway?
2: Yep. Yeah, no, it's just, it's like any technology innovation. As our capabilities change, it kind of opens up all these great opportunities, but it also opens up the need for paying attention to unintended consequences. And for sure, our entire world is becoming very dependent on strong cybersecurity stop there's just you know no way around it and that's a good problem to have right because all of the innovation that that is there that needs it so let's before we kind of wrap up you know this is so exciting to me like i'm geeking out about it tell me a little bit about what's the pathway to scale for this technology in the world we live in what has to happen next for this to become you know the standard that we see out there in the world
0: we're going to be getting our first products out later this year. And those first products are going to target small scale demonstrations in the field where the key features of our product are demonstrated in a commercial outdoor environment to help some of our next step larger customers realize that this risk has been retired. Those are typically going to be small cell implementations. They may be standalone small cell implementations and the CBRS band is probably the first place that's going to happen for uh, remote enterprise users. Because for those users, much like the first LED flashlights went to special forces in Iraq and Afghanistan, because that's where the overwhelming value immediately accrued. The first place that we will probably do this will be some remote enterprise inst- implementations in the CBRS band. The next thing that comes after that, and we're already in discussions with a couple of OEMs, there's a piece of what we do, the front end side of what we do, that is extremely applicable to reducing the power consumption of massive MIMO. And that's the first place that we probably are going to see this go to big scale because the efficiency advantage that we have immediately takes the thermal problems they're having in massive MIMO and eliminates them. And the massive advantage that we have in the cleanliness of our signal, which I'm just mentioning for the first time just now, because it's an all digital, all software radio, gives us a massive advantage in terms of the throughput that those massive MIMO radios can achieve in dense environments. Those are the two big steps. Gonna see the first of those steps happen the end of this year, beginning of next year going to see the second of those steps probably happening by the end of 2024. And when you see those rollouts starting to happen, that's when this is going to be one of those Katie bar the door, here it comes, because as soon as it starts to get out there at scale, everybody's going to realize that they have an opportunity to reduce the power consumption of the telecommunications network by a factor of 10, and when that happens, everybody's going to go Damn! How quickly can I do this? It's that's it's going to be a small step, a bigger step, and then the exponential curve.
2: Before my follow up question to that, I'll, I'll, I'll keep ourselves honest on helping our listeners that maybe didn't know what CBRS or MIMO are. So CBRS, we've talked about it in some prior episodes. Wayne is a is a spectrum band the FCC's allocated. It's called the Citizens Broadband Radio Service, I believe. And it's basically enables the existence of private networks so that any of us enterprise will have, you could have our own network without having to be dependent on a Verizon or an AT&T. So we've talked a bit about that. We've got some past episodes you can listen to cover that. And then MIMO stands for multiple in, multiple out. And it's a technology that the best analogy I can give is as humans, we have two ears to listen. A cell site traditionally might have two antennas to listen and, and talk on. MIMO basically is sort of like having 10 or 20 ears and mouths and allows us to hear way better, transmit way more efficiently. So that's a big technology that's actually being used today with 4G technology as well as 5G technology to help improve the efficiency of these radios. And so what you're talking about, Doug, is that there's some inefficiencies because of the infancy of MIMO that your technology helps resolve, it sounds like. Yeah, so. so my follow-up question is the announcements or the things that might come out, would we be seeing Aroden's brand as a OEM at a sell site the same way we might see Nokia or Ericsson? Or do you envision this being more like the Intel inside where all of the PC manufacturers like Dell and Hewlett-Packard are using Aridin as Aridin inside on their electronics.
0: The latter. We have a view that there's no way us as a small startup company in Silicon Valley is going to drive this amount of change as fast as it needs to happen in order to get the world connected, in order to reduce our carbon footprint as fast as we can. We had meetings at Mobile World Congress mm-hmm. with over 60 different companies. To start the process, uh, which ones that we will be working with, we're probably going to have to just uh, work with three to five to start with, and then over the course of a couple of years, we can expand that out. It's very much the Intel inside type of model. We will build radio units, just as Intel went out and built PCs as reference. We will build our own radio units as reference designs, so that OEM customers can come and see how you would build a radio and how you get all the savings. We may ultimately be able to integrate all of our technology into a single device known as a multi-chip module so that to the outside untrained eye we will look like a chip just like an intel cpu right now we're a whole bunch of chips on a printed circuit board but all of that can be integrated and driven down in cost and up in efficiency over the course of time and that's the path so market model is that it's the Aridin inside model we want to work with everybody who wants to work with us
1: pretty amazing, pretty exciting, especially in a time, you know, where power consumption and batteries or the rage and finding rare earth minerals, your kind of, your product reduces the need for a lot of that. Right. I mean, it makes it tiny in the amount of power consumption. So that makes it more economical and on not only that, but good for the environment. Thank you. We agree. That's why we're doing this. You know, I
0: got asked a question previously when I was giving a talk here in, in the Valley to another group of people, and they were, they were listening to the energy efficiency and spectrum advantages, and one of the investor attendees said, so, you know, spectrum is such a huge cost. I'm assuming that initially everybody's going to care about the spectrum. And my response was, it depends on what 70% of the world you're interested in. Is it the 70% of the world's GDP? There, they probably have spectrum as a challenge, as their biggest single challenge. Or are you worrying about 70% of the world's population? Because if you're worried about 70% of the world's population, they have energy as their biggest challenge. The great news is that we solve the same with one product. It's the same innovation that solves both of those issues. And we look forward to having the opportunity to work with the next generation of innovators in 6G to talk about the dynamic heterogeneous networks and the RAN intelligent controller and all of those pieces. And we look forward to getting our boots on the ground with the existing 5G innovators and getting these radios out there for real so that the world starts to see what's coming.
2: Well, well, thank you so much, Doug. This has been awesome. I think, like I said, I geek out on it and I could probably talk some more with you for another couple hours about it but we know you're a you're a busy man so we'll give you your time back for for the rest of uh today but um thanks for your time we look forward to maybe having you back maybe towards the end of the year or if Wayne and I are still around and doing this podcast as the 6g guys you know talking about the arid and inside and and seeing how much you guys have hopefully moved the needle on on what it is that we know to be wireless telecom in the world so thank you so, so much for your time Doug
0: Thank you for having me. And thank you for the interest you've shown in Arandon. Thanks, Doug.
1: Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more
0: resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5GGuys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share
1: this episode with your friends and family.